Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Seth Kaplan is produced in conjunction with Mass Media, a Google partner, providing businesses with traditional and digital advertising strategy and implementation. MassMedia.net. Sponsorship info for the Airlines Confidential podcast is available at AirlinesConfidential.com. He's sure glad airlines have extended elite status for another year because just like the rest of us, he's not traveling a lot these days. He's Ben Baldanza, the former CEO of Spirit Airlines, who now teaches about how airlines work. Not funny, but true, Ben. Absolutely true. Well, it was 2004 and four years before there was a crisis that was bad. So he went to work for the election board and gave it all he had. Now, in the end, he did not bend and everyone was glad because when the votes came in, there was no chagrin. The place was booming and banging for to their delight. And all through the night, there was nary a chad that was hanging. That's thanks to Seth Kaplan, NPR's here and now transportation analyst. That was my former life. One former life. Yeah, we we, we learned how to count in Miami. And, uh, very proud of that. Should be yeah, too, pushing, back from, <laughs> pushing back from the gate. This is Airlines Confidential, the show where we share the secrets of the airline industry and debate all the crazy things that happen in the airline world each week. Uh, we're going to talk about some more reasons for cautious optimism a- anyway in the airline world. We'll discuss whether the current environment makes mergers and acquisitions more or maybe less likely than its passengers behaving badly or is it? But first, let's prepare for takeoff with this week's news. Ben, this week started with airline shares, especially in the U.S., rising quite a bit because of optimism that maybe finally we can at least imagine the tide turning in the coronavirus crisis. Now, the current situation keeps getting worse. More cases, more deaths, and statistics for the airline industry continue being unlike anything we've ever seen. In fact, I've seen so many different numbers and have been trying to wrap my head around them that I asked the folks over at CH Aviation if they could put together a good high-level summary for us. And this is really astounding, these numbers. First of all, 55% of all commercial airlines in the world are currently grounded, completely grounded. And of course, the other 45% are in many cases flying a lot less than usual. So again, 55% grounded. That does vary by region from a low of 39% grounded in North America. So in other words, the majority of planes still flying in North America uh, to the low 70% in Africa, Europe and South America, Asia is somewhere in between, about half the fleet's grounded. There are commercial airports around the world. Listen to this, Ben. There are 255 airplanes parked, just totally parked in Johannesburg. Wow. There are 195 in Tucson, Arizona. And I'm not counting. There are the airports, you know, in, in the desert where where that's what they're for, basically, right? These are commercial airports that have hundreds of airplanes parked doing nothing. In terms of scheduled seats, uh, there are 5 million fewer seats in Asia for just the next five weeks compared with the same period last year, uh, or another way to look at it. Airlines have scheduled 3.5 million seats this week, busy Easter and Passover week in Europe, 3.5 million. Does that sound like a lot? Well, that 3.5 million is down from almost 23 million that they had originally scheduled and planned to fly. Interestingly, by the way, looking ahead to future months, CH Aviation says airlines in the Oceania region, so Australia and so forth, seem to be the least optimistic about a quick recovery. They've already made deep cuts kind of further out into the future 
than airlines in other regions of the world. Now, if you'd like to see some similar figures, by the way, or I know it's hard when you're just kind of listening to the numbers if you want to see them, uh, they've posted a lot of these uh, on their site. It's blogs.ch-aviation.com. So again, blogs, plural, .ch dash aviation ch like the abbreviation for switzerland ch dash aviation.com some good stuff on there ben again just a scale so unlike any other crisis we've seen totally unlike any crisis we've seen you know 9-11 was a u.s event airplanes were grounded the airlines were grounded for three full days but yeah. it was just america right planes were still flying in europe and the rest of the world and people weren't scared to be on an airplane necessarily and as we've said before when planes started flying again there was almost an urgency to fly again to prove that life was normal again and we weren't beaten by the terrorists right yeah and then we've had other we've had recessions we've had other pandemics or or risks of pandemics with SARS and MERS and H1N1 and things like that, but nothing like this at all. The world has shut down in a real way and it's not just airplanes, right? It's even for the flights that are flying, you go to the airport and most of the concessions aren't open. And it may be harder to get a ride there if you're not parking. On the other hand, yeah. if you're driving, you could probably get a good parking place. <laughs> right? And so it's, a, it's, it's affecting so many things. People are sheltered at home, which at least by watching TV suggests to me that the world is doing something positive about stemming the spread of this terrible virus. And so maybe all this no traveling, no, no restaurants, no going out of your home, maybe it really is helping and we can get back to some sort of some sort of normal, whatever that is soon. But this is a massive, massive change. And the real question is, Seth, is which airlines are never going to come back, just like which restaurants yeah. are never going to open again? How many of those planes parked are not going to fly again for the airlines that park them? Those are real questions, I think. Yeah. And, and I want to dive in a few minutes into, you know, whether there's any opportunity in, in, in all that mess. Uh, but first, you know, meanwhile, we've been saying for weeks that airlines around the world, like Flybe, for example, in the UK, have succumbed to the crisis, but that no U.S. airline had yet fallen victim. Well, now that has changed. It's not a major airline, not an airline even many Americans have, have ever heard of, let alone people from around the world. But it is an extraordinarily important airline in America's largest state, largest state geographically. I mean, I'm talking about Ravenair up in Alaska. Yeah, that's an airline that isn't on many people's radar if you're not, you know, in Alaska or associated with Alaska in any way. But Ravenair did shut down and they're the first airline in the U.S. to shut down because of the coronavirus. They basically said, look, we we don't have enough cash. We can't live through this. The government, through the CARES Act, wants to help the industry and is providing a program for grants to pay airline employees through September and being a source for loans after that for liquidity. But my guess is Raven was so far down the, the list that they probably never even got a call back from the government yet. Not that the government wouldn't have gotten to them at some point, but their string was just too short. And I feel terrible for the uh, for the people who worked for Raven and for the all the people who were serviced by that airline. They had over 70 planes. They weren't a small airline. They were small airplanes generally. But in states where, you know, there aren't as many roads and there aren't railroads, you know, of, of the that can get you around, Alaska is really dependent on aviation. And this is a bad thing for that state. 
Absolutely. In a lot of parts of Alaska, that's how your milk comes in, is on a plane. Uh, You mentioned the employees, 1,300 employees, 100 communities served in Alaska. Now, there are other airlines already trying to sort of backfill some of the demand there. Impact, by the way, on larger airlines, because Raven Air partnered, for example, with Alaska Airlines. Alaska would fly people into the big cities, and then uh, Raven would, would take them to their final destinations. I think especially people in the airline industry, Ben, frontline workers who are risking their lives to transport other people. At this point, if you don't know somebody who has died, you know somebody who knows somebody. Uh, you know, I saw an old neighbor of mine uh, down in Florida, a flight attendant for American, who also flies from Miami to London. She posted that a gate agent in London, who was a good friend of hers and who all her colleagues seem to love by what I, based on what I saw online, died from COVID-19. So there's a case where, you know, I didn't know this woman who, who unfortunately died, but I know somebody who knows somebody and probably only a matter of time before we all unfortunately know somebody directly if we don't already. So look, there's no sugarcoating the tragedy, but those of us in the world who are still fortunate enough to be healthy, those of us maybe sitting at home, if we're not essential employees out there uh, sitting at home more than usual, thinking about the future, I think it's natural and it's good to try to think of how we can somehow make the best of this even though we all wish it weren't so. What I'm wondering, Ben, is whether when it comes to airlines, there will be any unusual opportunities to reinvent the business. Let me, let me explain what I'm thinking of. Um, there, I'm going to do a little shameless plug here for, for the book that I wrote with Jay Shabbat about the Delta's turnaround story. Uh, I do this once in a while, but only when it's relevant. <laughs> uh, here, you know, talking to, and I, and I think half the time it's the quote Gordon Bethune, the old, your, your old boss at Continental, <laughs> just because he's one of the most quotable guys in the world. Um, and, and so we we talked about, this was you know, Continental coming out of 9-11 and every but he was struggling back then to somehow reinvent themselves and, and, and getting back to business. And uh, this consultant who he had no respect for <laughs> told him that Continental should be more like Southwest Airlines. And back then, what it was, you know, Southwest was just so much more successful than everybody else. It got through 9 11 uh, in, in much better shape than most other airlines. JetBlue was okay, but it's still very small. But among large airlines, Southwest was, was clearly uh, the best off. So this consultant tells, uh, tells Bethune, well, you just need to be more like Southwest. And Bethune says, quote, and I look at this guy and I say, what am I supposed to do with these 20 DC-10s we own? So those are old gas <laughs> DC-10s that they were stuck with. He, he continues, quote, I mean, you stupid shit. We don't have a blank piece of paper here. It's like a man who marries a woman who has three children, and he says, let's go do a family planning session. What for? We've already got it. There isn't anything to plan. <laughs> <laughs> and then the uh, Bethune, uh, just I'll read his next sentence, Bethune's approach to improving Continental, he says, quote, I had a great idea. Why don't we fly to places people want to go? <laughs> Shit, write that down. <laughs> anyway, so, so, so here's the point he's making is that airlines, you know, these are mostly legacy companies, even even the more nimble airlines. You know, you're this is a lot of people don't think of it this way, but it's a real estate business, right? People think of airplanes, they can fly anywhere, but, but no, you, you have your hubs that are there. That's where you have your facilities. Uh, and you can't, you know, if, if, if Delta suddenly wanted to open a hub at Chicago O'Hare, can't do that because O'Hare's taken by American and United. And, and so there's a lot that you're stuck with. And certainly your airplanes, you have them for decades. These are all long term planning decisions, even though you can plan new markets and, and, and adjust your schedules and that sort of thing. So what I'm wondering, Ben, is whether there is any unique opportunity here with, as we said before, 
55% of the global fleet grounded, and some of those airplanes are never going to fly again, right? Suddenly, uh, and, and I should say parenthetically, there are, there are uh, airplanes that, uh, airplane types that, you know, people usually plan, uh, the, the aviation geeks plan a year in advance to be on the last, you know, the last 747 to fly for KLM. Well, guess what? That that already happened. It, you know, no, nobody who was on that flight knew that, it, that that was that that was the last flight. You know, the last 767 to fly for American. That probably already happened from what we can tell. So so given all of that, are there any opportunities, Ben, to reinvent the business in a way like to basically have that clean sheet of paper not completely but in a way that Bethune never could have imagined other people never could have imagined uh, since since there basically is no airline industry at this moment well it's a great way to think Seth and I really applaud your idea of saying it is natural and good to try to think of how we make the best of this and I, th- I think that's right we can accept the reality of where we are and say but how do we come out of this stronger not only as airlines, but as a country too. And when I think about airlines, I think of it really sort of in three three chunks, Seth. I think there's a fleet potential good guy. And the fleet potential good guy is the only real economic way to grow in the last number of years has been to buy new airplanes. And new airplanes are expensive and they take a long time to get there. I mean, before all this happened, if you called Airbus or Boeing and wanted an airplane, they'd be telling you maybe 2023 we can get you something or 2024. Or if you buy a lot of them, maybe December 2022, right? Something like that, yeah. right? And um, and now there are planes, there, airlines are going to more seriously, I think, look at pre-loved or, pre- or used airplanes because there's going to be a lot more of them on the market. And I think that's good for the world in a sense, right? You don't need to have all these uh, wasted airplanes rotting around the world, I think. And there are a lot of good five, 10 year old airplanes that are very economic, that are good fuel burners, that aren't you know, wrecking the atmosphere with all kinds of terrible carbon emissions and things like that. Airplanes have been pretty good at that for a while. And I think airlines can use this negotiating with Airbus, Boeing, Embraer, or whoever they buy their airplanes from to maybe change their fleet structure somewhat so that they end up with either a better mix of size of planes or a lower overall capital cost position or something that allows them to maybe be better at flying to the places people want to go, like Gordon said, than then their current fleet plan, which are plans, but they're somewhat restricted today. So I think that's one way the industry can get better. More used airplanes, basically more of the world looking like Delta is now, right? Delta's been doing this for a while than others. The second, I think, Seth, is in just in the area of safety. And airlines have done an outstanding job around operational safety. Airplanes are safe to fly. There aren't a lot of bad, you know, personal injury incidents with airplanes. And the 737 MAX crisis proves that point in a sense because it was so out of the norm that it looked so so terrible. That's right. Everybody was so shocked at that because that wasn't normal at all that that happened, right? That's, That's proof of how normal it was not for that to happen. And yet the industry hasn't really taken any strong positions up until now, around biological safety. So are airplanes clean? Are they disinfected? Are the surfaces something that are safe to sit on and eat from and drink from? Are the employees of airlines 
trained enough to recognize symptoms and recognize when somebody has a concern, how to empathetically deal with that customer in a way that's realistic and positive for that customer. You know, the industry around safety, the FAA has a program called the Safety Management System, SMS is the acronym, that is really good and that builds safety into the culture of an airline and thinks about safety in terms of risk management and understanding risks and creating an environment where anyone in the airline can raise their hand and say, I think there's something unsafe going on here. And they're rewarded for that. They don't get in trouble for that, right? And I think airlines can use that positive culture around operational safety that they've created and bring into that mold a more biological safety as well. That now we're an airline that's not just safe to fly because we're not going to crash, but we're safe to fly because we care about you in the air you breathe and the surfaces you touch and the lines you wait in and the way we crowd you or don't crowd you and things like that. So I think that's a big deal. I think biometrics are going to help with this. I think uh, when you can get through security without having to touch anything, they can scan your face or look in your eyes or something, but you don't have to touch things. That frictionless experience can maybe accelerate some and make that better. So I think the whole idea of biological safety being brought into operational safety with the appropriate metrics and management of that is a real positive thing. And the last thing I'll say, Seth, is any terrible situation for a business like this is for airlines and lots of businesses. While all airlines will be hurt from this in terms of they're all losing cash, they're all going to emerge from this weaker than they were going in. That doesn't mean that they're all the same. And some airlines are being more proactive and more positive about what they're doing with their capacity, with their fleet, how they're talking to their customers right now, all kinds of ways that when we emerge from this, whenever that is, I think the relative balance of who is strong and who is weak will have changed a little bit. And some airlines are going to be a little stronger relative to their competitive set than they were maybe weaker than they were before, but stronger relative. And other airlines might not be as strong because they either didn't manage it as well or weren't in as good a position going in as some of the others will. And that, to me, is a good lead into what you said at the beginning was going to be the next part of the discussion, which is, are there going to be more mergers or not? Because I think that might create some of those kind of opportunities. That's a, that's a great, yeah. And, we'll, and so we'll, we'll be sure to get to that in a bit. And I appreciate that. And, and with, with the, the biological part, I, I saw Delta in a message to passengers. You, know, you get all these emails from that everybody else gets also from these airlines. And they said that they implemented new cleaning procedures on April 1st that are going to be permanent. Uh, you know, even once once this is over, fogging the cabins like these airlines do after international flights now, but doing it every night, uh, even for aircraft that only fly domestic, that sort of thing. So they specifically said that I'm sure other airlines are, are doing that uh, too. By the way, I said shameless plug for that book with the Bethune quote, but I was a, a bad shameless plugger because I forgot to, to mention the name of the book. Speaking of Delta, it's called Glory Lost and Found. <laughs> Glory lost and found how Delta climbed from despair to dominance in the post 9-11 era. If you Google like Delta book, Seth Kaplan or something, you'll probably find me. It's on Amazon and so forth. And so I, I every time we mention it, we sell like like three more books. I feel so much better. <laughs> four years of my life with Jay working on that book. Well, now it's time for passengers behaving badly or 
is the passenger behaving badly in this situation? A woman named Mary O'Shana, who lives near Chicago, admits in a lawsuit against Aer Lingus that she was very much not seated when the seatbelt sign was on. Well, actually, she was seated, but she was seated in the lavatory. And this wasn't during maybe some light turbulence when the flight attendants might look the other way or just kind of point out to you that, hey, you're out of your seat at your own risk. No, this was during takeoff on a flight from Chicago to Dublin. So far, all Mary's fault. Well, to the extent that you could blame somebody anyway for having to use the bathroom, right? <laughs> she says 20 seconds after she entered the lavatory, flight attendants started banging on the door. And 20 seconds after that, again, according to her allegations in the lawsuit, they forced open the door, grabbed her, and dragged her with her pants and underwear down around her ankles back to her seat. She says people were laughing and she was injured, she says, when the crew slammed her into an armrest. Ben, at least Dr. David Dow had his pants on when the United <laughs> Express workers dragged him down the aisle a few years ago. Well, Seth, there's that whole thing about not making a bad problem worse, right? <laughs> like United did with Dr. Dow. This, is an, this was an amazing story when I read this story. I used to work with a guy at Northwest Airlines. I won't say his name because he doesn't know I would say it. But he had a statement that he used to say that I still remember today. He said, Ben, never pass a bathroom. <laughs> and I've, and I've, and I've, I've taught my son that as well it's like if you're walking by a bathroom whether you have to go or not just go in right because right, you, you just don't know what and and and, and, and poor mary O'Shanna never met this guy right because yeah. you know we all know things can happen right but to be in the bathroom when the plane is starting to move is just a is just the wrong thing to do. And you gotta you gotta figure out. I mean, it would have been better for her to come out with her pants on, right? Staying amazed. At that point, she was probably too far gone, I guess. You know, it's it's a terrible situation. I think the flight attendants dragging her out with her pants down probably made things worse and yeah. obviously really embarrassed her when she was already embarrassed. Anyway, yeah. I got to say, the airline was right to not let her take off while she was in the bathroom. On the other hand, it seems like she didn't take it seriously enough either or maybe felt that she couldn't do anything about that. But boy, she should have used the bathroom before she boarded. Yeah, and, and I don't know whether there was like a long delay, you know, they were sitting for, for an hour waiting to take off. I mean, who knows what else was going on there, but just uh, it just just an awful situation. It is an awful situation. Now yeah. at cruise altitude here on Airlines Confidential, big problems with little vouchers. That's today during Fine or Wine, or Airlines Confidential is next. Sponsorship info for the Airlines Confidential podcast is available at airlinesconfidential.com. With Ben Baldanza, I'm Seth Kaplan. This is Airlines Confidential. Fine or wine is next. But first, let's go to the mailbag. Mark from Kettering, Maryland writes, do you think investors or some of the airlines will see an opportunity to push consolidation or take airlines private? as the coronavirus outbreak depresses business demand and as a result, airline stock values. WestJet was acquired by Onyx as its stock price was punished in the stock market even prior to this latest shock to airline stocks. 
And with some stocks down almost 50%, I should note this this came in a few weeks ago. So, but anyway, obviously stocks uh, still way down. Airlines like Spirit, JetBlue, et cetera. It seems there may be a longer term opportunity that protects airlines from the short term industry demand shocks and sets up significant ownership appreciation potential once the panic passes. I realize in other parts of the world, weaker airlines may succumb to industry demand pressures. Flybe already did. Hainan and Norwegian could. But U.S. airlines in particular have mostly been pretty smart with their balance sheets to prepare for a shock like this, except, Mark says, for American Airlines and its heavy debt. And Ambit, we've mentioned in the past, American, worse off than most of the other U.S. airlines, but better off than the, the probably half or two-thirds of, uh, of airlines around the world still. It's just U.S. airlines collectively are so much better off. So a good question here. I have to say, you know, a, a few nights ago, a friend of mine texted me and said, don't look now, but Alaska Airlines market capitalization, so just what it's worth as a company in the stock market, is close to that of American Airlines. And I think his point in saying that was that I think everybody, uh, Alaska is one of those airlines that forever has been thought of as, as a is a potential merger partner, more likely as a, maybe a target of an acquisition, although it acquired Virgin America several years ago. But, uh, you know, American and Alaska being close partners, uh, closer now, Alaska joining One World, people might think, oh, is this an opportunity for American to buy Alaska? And this friend is like, well, maybe it's an, maybe it's an opportunity soon for Alaska to buy American. But <laughs> there's precedent for that, right? I mean, American itself is really, you know, America West bought larger U.S. airways and then U.S. Airways, technically a merger of equals, but really it was the U.S. Airways management team mostly that ended up at the top level anyway, running the larger American airlines. Anyway, that's all aside, but just generally speaking, does this make it more or less likely that we see uh, some con- consolidation? I can imagine the the arguments in favor of both. Uh, you know, more likely because of the reasons Mark said, and, and because you know airlines might feel more vulnerable, and because regulators might be more likely to say yes when airlines are in trouble as opposed to just sort of strong airlines getting stronger from from a consumer standpoint. But on the other hand, everybody has less money than they had not too long ago to uh, to do a deal. What do you think, Ben, on um, balance, uh, more or less likely? Well, I think this is a real smart question. And I think it's important to know that not only is he right, but that Spirit Airlines agreed with him, <laughs> right? Oh, uh, the poison Spirit, pill, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Spirit, Spirit filed what is formally known as a shareholder rights position, which is informally known as a poison pill. Yeah. (laughs) And what that does is it makes it makes um, it much more expensive. And the the quote from Spirit CEO Ted Christie is real interesting. Let me read it to you. It says the COVID-19 pandemic has led to unprecedented disruption for the global airline industry. As a result, over recent weeks, we have seen unique and severe dislocations in equity market valuations and in particular, a substantial reduction in the share price of spirit. We are confident in our ability to weather the current environment and have taken a number of steps to protect team member and guest safety, adapt our operations, improve our financial footing. We are adopting the rights agreement or the poison pill to protect (laughs) against parties seeking to take advantage of the current market environment to the detriment of spirit and its shareholders. So I thought that was an interesting quote from Ted. And basically what he's saying is, look, we're cheap right now, but don't think, Mr. Financier, you can come in and buy us for cheap because we're actually much better looking than our stock price says. And we're going to get out of this. And that's what the poison pill kind of does. It makes it real expensive to do that. 
other we've seen this happen in other industries as well. And so I think that yeah, I saw I saw that in the Wall Street yeah. Journal. Yeah, right. so overall I, so article I think, about yeah, just just yeah. in general, this is going on. Mark is on to something here that's real. There are investors who look for opportunities to buy companies when they're real cheap, especially companies with good brands and good assets underneath them and say, let's, you know, buy low, sell high, right? That's the, uh, that's the adage, right? And what the shareholder rights agreements do is they make it harder to do that. And in fact, I don't know that there's ever been a successful takeover a company that had a poison pill uh, yet. Maybe there has been, but I don't think there has been. And they don't last forever, but they're put in place for some period of time. So I think there is some risk of that. American Airlines is very cheap right now. Would someone, you know, would a Warren Buffett or something want to get back into the industry by buying a big chunk of American Airlines when they're that cheap? I don't know. American's got a great brand. They've got a good network. They've got good real estate like you talked yeah. about earlier, right? So is it likely that at some point in the future, the assets at American Airlines could make a lot more money than they're making today? I think that's absolutely true, right? And yeah. so so what does that do? What it does is it puts every airline on the hot seat in a sense, but really what it does, it says, let's manage our business really, really well. Let's manage our, talk to our shareholders, manage our customers, manage our assets, manage our cash, so that when we come out of this, we're stronger than we were before. And I think that's really important. I do think that, like I said at the end of in the first block, that relative strength of some airlines will change. And that could make some airlines that were thought of as targets maybe become more aggressors, or maybe airlines that were thought of as targets actually become targets now. And I think there is some some chance that when we emerge from this and people are actually flying again and airlines are generating positive cash flow again, the idea of, well, what's the next phase of restructuring of the industry? I think it it absolutely could accelerate that. I don't know what you think about that, Seth, but I think that's probably likely. And a conspiracy theorist might note that uh, you mentioned, you know, Buffett, you just sort of gave the example of American Airlines. Well, he did sell, uh, based on a filing, shares in, I say he, Berkshire Hathaway sold shares in Delta and Southwest. So, uh, you know, if if that were going to happen, right, take take American private, then, uh, then they would probably have to, to divest of of other airlines. But I'm not at all saying that that's uh, that that's what's happening. Uh, I've sometimes wondered if you should take Southwest private and do some of the things there that have been, even though Southwest is, you know, in the absolute, a very successful airline. On the other hand, it did all kinds of what seemed to be perhaps low-hanging fruit there based on the things that Southwest hasn't done that other airlines have, have done with uh, with great success. So all kinds of uh, opportunities, but apparently not. I mean, selling shares. And so you wonder if that was Buffett saying, hey, fool me twice, right? We know he was in the airlines a long time ago, stayed out for decades, got back in a few uh, years ago, believing airlines, like when Delta would say, hey, we're not don't think of us as an airline anymore. Think of us as a high quality industrial company. Right. In many ways, if you looked at it. And so so that's kind of interesting if he has now and his people who advise him uh, change course again. So we don't know what that what that means. But no, I, I would agree. I, I think that, look, 
airlines are cheaper, everybody has less money, but the tiebreaker is the regulatory piece, right? So it doesn't so so if I have $2 and you have $1 relatively, you know, it's the same as if I have $20 and you have $10. So I don't know that and, oh and I, and I should say, unlike during the global financial crisis, there is liquidity now in the world, right? It's possible to borrow money now, which which you know wasn't the case for a lot of companies back in in 2008-2009. So so it's so it's possible to finance deals and because of the regulatory piece that it it has to be a little more likely now that Department of Justice would approve a merger or, or its counterparts around the world that you'd have to say, yeah, it's a little more likely now than it would have been, which is not to say that uh, that it's a foregone conclusion that it'll happen. But uh, yeah, it, interesting times. There were people who, who had been talking to a friend literally a couple of months ago about how boring the U.S. airline industry had become. <laughs> That's, and that wasn't a criticism. It was just that, you know, for so many years, it, uh, you know, you go to a conference and it was well, things are okay. You know, if you're there <laughs> to see what's what's happening, you know, you think back to the turbulent times when there was just just so much to, to talk about in a bad way. And here we are again. Well, do you have a question for us? You can call us at 305-379-7429 and record a question for us anytime during the week. Again, 305-379-7429. You can email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com or you can jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website. You'll see a form on there to submit your question. Well, beginning our initial descent on today's show, it's time for fine or whine. We listen to an actual customer complaint, then we talk about whether a complaint is fine or if they're just whining. Ben, you have a complaint. Yes, I do. And lo and behold, it's from American Airlines. This one's from Wilbur of Westchester, Pennsylvania. Well, against American Airlines, that is. <laughs> yes, against. That's what I mean. Complaining I'm, sure Ameri- American. I'm sure American Airlines has plenty of its own complaints. Yeah, that's right. It. <laughs> <laughs> well, Wilbur from Westchester writes, I booked through American's website three flights for my wife and myself over $2,300 in value, including a short leg valued at less than $300 from Madrid to Marrakesh on Iberia Airlines. Here's these alliances coming back, Seth. Yeah. Okay. All done on AA's website. AA refuses to allow me to use $200 in e-vouchers because it is shared. It is a shared booking with Iberia, even though it was all booked on their site and over $1,900 of the flights are on AA planes. Then I asked to extend the vouchers one year so I will not lose the $200. And the answer was no. The reason it's their policy. Told them I was not satisfied with their answer and was told it's our policy. <laughs> so that's so what, what he says. Yeah. What? Uh, what do you? And it all. Yeah. I, I, I can. I can imagine that happening. What do you think, Ben? Fine or why? Well, you know, I'm gonna say it's a wine. You again. You buy a ticket on American Airlines. They tell you you're not gonna fly on American, and to expect that you're gonna get the same service or the same policies. On one airline that you wouldn't get on another, I I don't buy that. I will say that airlines have generally been good about extending and and trying to keep customers in the fold um, due to the coronavirus thing. But this this is this one. No, this was one from yeah, this was one from before. And I guess Wilbur. And in fairness to Wilbur, I mean, it seems like what he's saying is, look, I understand that I can't use the money to fly Iberia. He's he's you know he's spending twenty three hundred dollars for his combined itinerary, most of which is is on American, and he wants to use two hundred dollars in vouchers. And and I guess there's probably just a rule that you can't use 
the voucher for an itinerary that includes another airline. Uh, and so, so yeah, you know, I'm, you know, he's I'm, saying I'm like sure philosophically, and it almost sounds like kind of a technical thing, like like you know, and, and that probably doesn't. It, it's probably just unusual enough that maybe just nobody ever thought about this. You know, I know. Uh, I, th- I think that's right. And you know, Seth, alliances in general do good things for customers, right? They create more ability to seamlessly that's in quotes, connect from one airline to another, you know, not have to connect your bag maybe and create more travel opportunity. But it creates these crazy things like Wilbur had a deal with where your money's getting split up among a couple airlines and you, your relationship is the airline you bought on, which is called the marketing carrier. But the carrier that's actually flying, which is called the operating carrier, is the one who ends up getting the money. And then when something goes wrong like this, it always creates these these pressure points. And that's one of the negatives of, of alliances and co-chair relationships. Yeah. I feel for Wilbur. I do. Uh, I you know, do I've, I've, I've been in that situation. Uh, once I remember I had a $250 voucher on United and this, nobody's followed me. I, I just, all of a sudden I, a year passed and, 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 you know, I just hadn't happened to have an opportunity to fly United. I was down in South Florida where they're not the biggest airline and, and just, all the places I was going in, you know, but then partly I just forgot. It's oh my goodness. And, and, uh, yeah, I had volunteered in that case. I'd given up my seat and, uh, and just, and, and, and boom, there went $250. And I, I hated that. But again, that was just very clearly my, my fault. By the way, Ben, very faintly in the background, this is one of those things where two months ago, this would have been like embarrassing for people, but I hear your son practicing piano and, and and this is and this is the new world everybody everybody is working from home and that their, their their kids are there and I'm, I'm glad that your son is is doing something productive enzo is a is, is a great musician i've heard him play uh and, and uh you've, you've got to be proud to hear that in the background yeah well you know it's a, it's a proud and a little embarrassed of course but you know he's in school right now and he's in school online and part of his schooling is these piano lessons and uh i was hoping that closing the door would help but i've got a good <laughs> sensitive microphone no it's just it's really sensitive <laughs> it, no 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 it, it that's what's wild is you know we think back and a lot of people have referenced that uh that bbc incident a few years ago where like the whole world was laughing for days because that man's child walked into the room during the segment and now this is just and now that is just life for everybody every day and it's good because it, it shows that people are, are doing what they're supposed to do and, and uh, stay home unless they uh, absolutely have to go somewhere well and, it, and it's why seth it's why that leisure traveler is going to come back strong that's right. Exactly. <laughs> well, on final approach now, that does it for Airlines Confidential this week. Please fasten your seatbelts and ensure your seat backs and tray tables are in their upright and locked positions. And remember, we'd love to hear your questions at 305-379-7429 or email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com or you can jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website. From the Airlines Confidential Studios, I'm Seth Kaplan. And I'm Ben Balbanza. We'll talk to you soon. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.